Last week, we began this series of core values and recognize that the values that we hold, those things that, that really become a part of who we are, some of those internal workings, really in one sense act as a guardrail for us, even in the life of a church as we, as we look through these six values that we've adopted over the years here at the church. It keeps us on a mission toward Christ and moving along a path. So I think in many ways they, they act as a fence for us. But what I find is that when people come to church and they hear the words core values and sometimes even mission and vision, that, that there's this tendency of going, you know what, this doesn't apply to me. Let's just kind of check out and I'll think about other things or maybe jump on my phone and do something else. And by the way, um, I know, rec recognize that a lot of you guys use phones for your Bibles and that's okay. I just want to point that out. So be careful when you're looking over at somebody and go, they're using their phone and you think they're playing on a, a game or something, then they're probably not. But, but here's where I want to come back to last week. There was a statement or kind of an idea I, I want to remind you of. And I want to put this on the screen here to begin with here. And I said it this way, the collective values of us as individuals and the families that hold those values, think of that individually, they become the values of the church. See, I think we, there's a distance there. We go, there's the church's values and that which we have. And you go, no, they're really the same. See, this implies then that, that you understand that they need to become important. You know, we have them written on brochures here on our rack there for people to read, for new people coming into the church. See, but the fact remains, even though you write them down and you, you say these things on a piece of paper, the fact is they may or may not be the real values of a church unless all of us or most of us are beginning to adopt those values. So it's a challenge at times when you put things in writing. And sometimes people look at it as kind of a futile exercise. But I go, no, that's really not accurate either. Because at times we need to write down and go, this is where we need to go. This is where what we need to become, even as a church and even in individuals and families in our lives. So we need to embrace these. And we're coming to our first core value. Last week was the introduction. If you, you can go online and listen to the sermon on that one. But I want to put the first core value that we're going to dig into here this morning. And, and it's this. We value biblical teaching and preaching. The scriptures are the author, authoritative, inerrant, inspired word of God, containing the only plan whereby mankind can be brought into a right relationship with God. And on our brochure, we put those verses underneath here, and I'm gonna, we're going to go there this morning a bit. But the bottom line is this. We value the Bible. God's word is important to the church family. So leadership desires that there be Bible-centered teaching and, and preaching from the pulpit here. They desire, though, even beyond that, when you think of Sunday school, when you think of the different groups in the area, youth group, community groups, DNA groups, all of that, we want the Bible to be important in the life of our church. Now, uh, I want to kind of go down a little alley here this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we had this famous Supreme Court case. 
And when you think back to that, I believe it kind of opened a Pandora's box here in our culture. And I don't think it's going to get closed. And I believe that what will flow from that decision is going to be far more impactful than even Roe versus Wade from 1973. I really believe that. But it's because of that recent court decision, redefining marriage, that this core value of wanting to the scriptures to be important has profound relevance in terms of us as individuals and as a church. But let me begin by putting a question uh, this, uh, that really centers around this core value. Put it, I'm going to put it on the screen there. What do you believe about this book called the Bible? When you think of all of the nuances, when I throw that question up, what are the things that come to your mind? But let me ask a second question here. When you talk to your friends and relatives, what do they believe about the Scriptures? Just put a face to that and go, what do they believe about what the Bible is all about? Matter of fact, I even go farther, parents. For you that have young children, what does your young children think when you say the word Bible? How do they view that? And maybe even for us that are a little bit older, when you ask the question, what do our grown kids believe about the Bible? Do they view it as important? Let me put up a reality. If you're taking notes, following in that bulletin insert, I want to put up a reality here. There is a direct link between what one believes about the Bible and how one embraces the social issues of the day. There is a deep connection there. Now, I, I need to clarify one piece that we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but understand this. One can believe this is fully the inerrant Word of God and believe that this is from God, and just not obey it. Okay, I, I really believe that. But this is, that's a little different than what we're going to talk about here today, here, for the most part in this sermon. So, but, but understand, this, what we believe about this, is so vital as we inter, in, engage with our culture even. Now, I want to put the, the free church doctrinal statement on this issue on the screen. You maybe haven't read it or you don't know much about the evangelical free church. This is what it states on our website and what we have in our brochures as well. Uh, the free church writes this. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of the human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. See, if we call ourselves an evangelical free church, we must embrace this belief. 
And if we ever stop embracing this idea of the scriptures, we're going to probably have leadership of, uh, of the evangelical free church knocking on our door and going, elder board, pastors, what's going on here? See, in order to be a free church, we must believe this. Now, it's an interesting exercise. I'm just going to point out one thing, interject something here. Sometimes look up other denominations. I, I went online this last week and went to a couple different denominations trying to go, what do they believe about the scriptures? And there are many denominations out there. You, they don't have a statement. They literally don't have anything really coherently written about the word of God. But let me also read some of the scriptures of this morning. You know, we've listed our core values and and infers this is that this is our doctrine. This is what we believe. But see, there's verses that people can view differently. And as we put this on the screen, let's go to the first verse here, 2 Timothy 3. I want to just stop and say this as well. There's some scripture, when we read it, we go, man, is it this interpretation? Is this what the authors, is this what they intended? But the the couple verses we're going to use today, there's really no doubt what the meaning that, that they were writing. They understood, and they believed about the scriptures, and it's really clear, it's easy to interpret. Now look at 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now let me just state one thing from that verse, as we believe in terms of the leadership at the church. And and again, this is in your sermon notes, the first one there. We believe this, God is the ultimate author of the scriptures. Now, I understand he didn't just go, poof, And here's the words on the page. He didn't do that. He spoke through men, their style, and their words that came out of, as they wrote those down. But it was the Holy Spirit that propelled them, that breathed the the truth into their hearts. That had to be written down. And the Holy Spirit stood guard as this book was even assembled. And he began to use it in the life of of the church, in the early church, the New Testament, and the Old Testament. See, this was given to us by God. It comes from God. Let me give you another verse, though, 2 Timothy 4.2. It says this, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. How I put it for your notes, I said, God wants us to know and to communicate his truths to people. He's saying, Timothy, be ready to take the words in this book and use them. Use the truth, learn it. Scripture is important for you and for other people. See, the substance of that verse is it's to be used in our lives, in the lives of people. So it implies that even any teacher, for example, or preacher, really there's a sense of accountability with that as well. Be ready to use it. We have to be, we're, we're, there, there's something for uh, that we need to be uh, applying to people's lives. It assumes that teachers who teach Sunday school use the Word of God. They view it as God's Word. Parents, uh, this book is relevant for your, teach, for your kids. 
You need to teach it to them. You're the primary discipler of your children. God's word is important as you teach them. So it communicates that, that it's important for us. And, and it's, God wants to use it in people's hearts. Well, let me put Hebrews 4.12 on the screen. Look at this one. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of, of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, now here's how I, I stated just for an application. God uses his word to transform the hearts and the lives of his people. The words, think of those words, sharp, active, piercing. Do you catch the intensity of those words? See, we believe that the heart, that when the heart is open to the scriptures, that when it's taught, when it's even just read, that God uses it to penetrate deep within our soul. And when the heart is open to the scriptures, it reveals even the very motives of why we do what we do. Sometimes that's hard to look at. Now, I, I need to say this. I do have to acknowledge that some people have hard hearts, like stone. And matter of fact, I want to show you a verse. It's, it's something that's true of Scripture, and we don't necessarily like it, but I want to put it on the screen anyway. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Look what this reads. Now, in verse 3, it talks about the gospel being veiled, and then, and then it goes on to 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, people's hearts can become hard like stone. And one can talk to them about Jesus. One can talk to them about this book, the Bible. Talk to them about truth, but it doesn't register. There's like a block there. The truth of the gospel is blocked. They're blinded even as you communicate even from this book. And people turn and they reject this book. And frankly, it cuts off the transforming work of the Spirit. But if we have put our faith in Jesus... See, if the Holy Spirit has worked in our lives, it obligates us at times then to stop and ask the question, God, is my heart open or is it becoming hard? Is it penetrating? Is the truth penetrating my own heart? Now, here's what we find, and I think you'd, you'd, you understand this. When our hearts are soft, when people's hearts are soft, people open up and the truth just flows into the soul. And it does its work, it pierces, it cuts away. It cuts away the things that we need to remove in our lives. And that kind of work is exciting. Hard sometimes, I think we have to admit, but it's exciting. And even as you watch people, when that happens in front of you with people that you know, you see kind of the fruit just coming out of one's life. And the Spirit uses that at times even to impact other people as the Word is doing the work within us. But when the heart is hard, 
or, or maybe self-deceived, one really doesn't care about sitting under the Word of God. One doesn't care about spending time in the Scriptures. These Scriptures, they become cold to people, even who claim to be believers. People actually look to avoid spending time in the Scriptures. People stay away from church just so they don't have to sit under the Word of God. They even avoid conversations about Jesus and the Word. And you can think probably in your own lives of examples of that, but they just slide away from the truth. And you stop and you ask, okay, what happened? What do we do when those who claim faith in God and they really, probably God really has worked, what do we do? And I think the first thing is this. We just stop and pray for those people. And we say, God, soften their hearts Open up their hearts to your word, to, to conversations about who you are. So we need to also then love them as well. And, and I think there's this place where you've got to keep loving them to, to earn the right to keep knocking on their hearts and go, let me in. Let's talk about what God wants for your life. But here's where I've got to stop and, and go a little bit farther. And I want, where I want to do is I want to connect the value of the Word of God with this recent court case. See, the media is proclaiming this, that the weight of public opinion has shifted toward embracing gay marriage as a right and as an act of love. That's what's happened out there. And the majority then now deem it as loving and the normal thing, the right thing to do. Well, let me make a case, and, and, but let me put something on a statement on the screen for you. And I want to, here's where we want to begin to connect. For many people, even within a church, the movement toward legalizing gay marriage is intrinsically bound up in their beliefs about the validity of the Holy Scriptures. Now, I think for many years, we've been ignoring what cult, where culture has been going within the church. And many leaders, well, let me put a picture of what many leaders are saying about the church. We've kind of put our heads in the sand and, and ignored the reality of the, of the things that are going on around us. But here's where I, I want to dig a little farther and show you, and, and then at the end, kind of how do we respond to this? Barna Research has, has done some research in the last few years on the issue of the Bible. And in the recent, it comes from 2014, so it's pretty new. And it's centered on what people think about the Bible in the United States. And here's some of the latest stats. Nearly 9 out of 10 Americans own a Bible, adults. 9 out of 10 Eight out of ten, 79%, identify the Bible. They use the word sacred literature. 61% of American adults also say they wish they read the Bible more. Two-thirds think that public schools could teach, should teach biblical values centered around the Bible. Three-quarters of that, of those supporting teaching biblical values in school, believe the Bible teaches moral principles that are badly needed in society. And then ask the question, why is there a disconnect? You look at these stats and you go, 
Why then did all of this come to be? Was it just because Christians didn't stand up and make their voice known? Well, I want to give you some more pieces to the research here. And George Barna said there are functionally four different types of people in terms of their real beliefs about the scriptures. And I want to walk through those four groups. The first one, he described as the engaged. 19% of people of adults in the United States, the Bible actually is the word of God, and they interact with it on a regular basis at least four times a week, he found. So there's truth coming into the, their lives. That's the first group, 19%. And by the way, that group has been hovering around 19 to 21% for about the last 10, 12, 15 years. It hasn't changed much, that group. But there's a second group that he described as the friendly, meaning they have, they're kind of moderate and they interact with the Bible and they actually still believe that this is God's word. It comes from God that it's God's truth and, and needs to be obeyed. And, and now here's the thing in this friendly group. They've backed away from engaging on a regular basis the scriptures. They don't read it. They still believe the Bible is God's word, but they functionally aren't putting it into their hearts and their minds and their souls. A third group he describes as the neutral 25%, you go to the next slide there, Jim. 25%, the Bible is the inspired word of God, but with errors. Or it's not even necessarily, they wouldn't use the word inspired, they wouldn't use the word inerrant. But it teaches us about the ways of God, and it teaches us about good things. And they would rarely really look and read the Bible, this group. See, the neutrals, though, have crossed a line from friendly to neutral. There is a line where the Bible has lost authority. One really cannot trust the Bible. And here's what we need to realize. When you are talking to people, your friends and your family, when you, now, in this group, let me back up, in this group, of the neutral, they would also use the word sacred in terms of scriptures. So when you're talking to friends and family and they're going, I believe this is God's word, and they say, yeah, this is God's word, understand this, you're probably not, if they're in the neutral camp, they're not talking about the same thing. It's something different for them. And yet the verbiage really is the same. They, they talk about the scriptures, but it really is different. See, the neutral group on the surface will be friendly. They're going to act like the Bible is important. They're even engaged. And it's just not true. That's what Barna's research finds. Now there's a fourth group as well, number four there for your notes. It's the antagonistic. 19% now in the United States. The Bible is just another book. It's irrelevant. It's full of errors. Why even bother? 
you'll notice that antagonistic and the engaged are identical right now. Identical. But here, here's where I've got to throw another reality that we need to remember. There is a very short step in moving from friendly to neutral. A very short step. See, the research shows that the engaged are staying about the same size. Hasn't changed dramatically. But what's happening is that people are beginning to move from friendly into the neutral category, and the neutral are becoming antagonistic toward the, toward the scriptures. Matter of fact, in the research here, what he said is this, on the antagonistic, it has gone from 10% to 19% in three years. It's almost doubled in three years. And I, as I look at that, I look at the another two, three years, that group of antagonistic is going to be much higher, I believe, than those that are committed to the scriptures. But there's a quote that's on the screen here now. Let me show you this one. There's also a fairly high proportion of Americans who at least somewhat agree the Quran and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same spiritual truths. Nearly half of Americans agree that the statement, 31% and 16, they agree with that statement, that the Book of Mormon, the Quran, is just like the Bible. Now, I don't know if, if you do the research a little bit and do the stat work there, and I was trying to figure that out. And you realize then that when you do the statistics, you take away the 19% that's deeply committed. You take away those that are antagonistic. And it's in those middle two groups where you have this belief. And what it's saying, what it implies, is that the people that are friendly, friendly with the scriptures, meaning this is God's word, are also holding the belief, many of those are holding the belief, that the Book of Mormon and the Quran are just like the Bible. And you go, what? Don't you read your Bible? <laughs> I think is the statement. That this is the only, Jesus is the only way? And you kind of go, what is going on with that? What is going on with that? I think it shows the ignorance of the claims of the Word of God itself. Now, this research, by the way, was done in conjunction with the American Bible Society in 2014. And the American Bible Society gave an interesting conclusions to this research. And I want to put those up on the screen for you. And they said this, most Christians tend to point toward media and culture as the reason for people walking away from Christ. And here's what American Bible says said, they believe that moving away from Christ is intrinsically tied up with the lack of Bible reading. Now, you go, how do you prove that? You don't really know. Don't really know. But I think they make it at least a valid point. If one doesn't spend time under the scriptures where the word of God is penetrating our heart and soul, if we set it aside, 
There is the real possibility of moving into the friendly group and also buying into the arguments that really this isn't the Word of God. So what does that mean for us as families and as a church? I'm hoping that today it will stir you if you haven't read your Bible recently, to dust off that book and to begin to take it seriously. And if you're a parent, do you realize that this book is important to the long-range development of your kids, of your children and grandchildren? So we need to begin to see it as important and relevant for our lives. But let me again give you one application here I want to throw in for the notes I said it this way the purpose of reading your Bible isn't about just to gain knowledge or even moralism that just leads to legalism but it's about your relationship with Christ with Jesus and it's about the transformation of one's heart to love God and love people that's why we read the Bible It's just not to learn the facts. It's to have the scriptures penetrate our hearts and we begin to fall in love with Jesus. And we become like Jesus and we love like Jesus and we're propelled on the mission like Jesus and we reveal the love of Jesus to this world. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we read it. And my hope is just going over some of this stuff and reminding you of this stuff, that the Bible becomes important in your life. Some of you go, I don't read well. You know what? Listen, download it onto your, your phone, your iPod, your iPad, whatever kind of device you have, and listen to it. But here's where I want to come back for some application that question in your notes, how do we respond to people who believe the Bible is irrelevant? You understand that group, those last two groups, that's what's growing the fastest. And the first one there for you, I said it this way, we just need to pray that the Holy Spirit would soften their heart. And we can't debate them into a place where their hearts are going to become soft. We've created this either-or tension in our culture of going, all of those, it's, it's like people over there are the enemy, and they're not the enemy. The enemy is not against flesh and blood. But what do we do? We have to look at those people and go, God, would you remove a heart of stone? and put in a soft heart where it's open to the truth of who you are. The second one I think we need to do, even in a greater way, we need to begin to build a relationship with those people. Rather than write them off, we need to build the relationship to earn the right to go deeper when when God provides an open door. When life is breaking down for those people, they don't have a hope. We do. And it's those moments as we build that, that we build the, the bridge to them. And I think what we've done over the years, the Christian world has, has cut the bridge. We've got to build the bridge. 
and enter their world and being able to knock on the door when the time is right and God is the one that opens, flings the door open and we walk right in with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The third one, I think we need to do this. We need to ask for spiritual wisdom to know how to answer them with the proper motives. With motives of love, not hate. And and here I want to show you a verse. It's a verse that I use all the time in ministry. And it's so critical. We need to memorize this verse. Look Look how Paul writes, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And I would even say this, the insight to be able to respond to them in in a right way. So that you may be able to discern what is best, the right things to say. But then here again the motive, and we, that we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with a fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, where they can't deny that we love Jesus and we love people well, to the glory and the praise of God. See, again, the enemy, they, the ones that made this law, the people that are living this law, you understand they're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy, and he's blinded their hearts, and God wants their hearts to be softened. So we pray that people's blinders would come off, and that he would use us in that process to live and to build those relationships with him that we might earn the right to one day walk into their lives and share the real truth of Jesus Christ. See, and that's all about disciple-making. Where we're helping those that are far from Jesus come close and to hopefully know Jesus and love Jesus and to walk with Jesus and obey and do his mission, the mission of Jesus. That's what we need to be about as a people. And sometimes, I I hate to say it, this isn't a a big crusade thing. This is one person at a time, one relative at a time, one friend at work at a time, that we build those bridges and earn the right to share the gospel of Jesus. Now, what I didn't answer is some of the words that you could use and, and you know what? You can Google that. Just, put, put, just Google some time. How do I share the gospel with somebody who doesn't believe the Bible? Just, just look that up. And there's, there's some good stuff out there that they'll help you and go, what words do I choose? What do I avoid in terms of understanding? And understand there's an argument. You can, you can go down and debate them to a degree without even really referring to the scriptures. It's just as we're asking the question, where does truth come and who gets to decide where truth comes from? You can leave them in, in a dilemma where they can th- have to think about it in that sense. But we need to pray for these people. We need to love them. They need Jesus. Let's stand and pray.